Amela Ena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. What is serverless computing? What types of applications can we build with serverless computing? In this episode, Manisha Suley, director of Big Data Analytics at Linux Academy, answers these questions. We talked about big data pipelines and how the Linux Academy is using them. To learn more about the topics of the show, sign up for the monthly newsletter by going to thewomenintechshow.com. Thank you for listening. Manisha Suley, Director of Big Data Analytics at Linux Academy, is joining us today. Manisha, welcome to the Women in Tech Show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. You've worked on data pipelines and serverless computing. I want to begin by talking about serverless computing. What is serverless computing? Okay, serverless basically is a cloud architecture. You can also call it as backend as a service, which means that when you're building your application, your software product, what you focus on is really the code and the servers or the infrastructure or even the software and the runtime environment that sits behind your code is taken care of by third-party service, which is very commonly a cloud provider. So that is, um, in short, really the meaning of serverless. And this doesn't necessarily mean that there's no server at all by serverless, right? Exactly. It, it means that you do not own the servers. You do not have to manage them or worry about any administration. But they're definitely our servers. Mm-hmm. They're just managed by someone else. And what has serverless computing enabled us to build? So serverless is... a um, very, very flexible, especially with cloud providers like AWS, um, Microsoft's Azure, Google's Cloud Platform. They are all uh, focusing on the serverless technology and they're providing a lot of different services which are able to do a lot of different things. So because of availability of these different services, there is a variety of application types that can be built using serverless. So, for example, we can build event-driven applications, we can build scheduled processing applications, entire big data pipelines, website hosting. Um, So, really, there is no dearth of the types of applications that you can build using serverless. And in a sense, what this also did was democratize the technology, right? We might not even see some applications because... In the old days, you had to do it yourself, get the servers and things like that, which could end up being expensive, correct? Exactly. That is the whole point behind it. And especially for smaller companies, startups who are eager to you know, get their product development started and get to the market really quickly, this is a great paradigm where everything else is transparent to you and you really focus on your own application. Some companies like Dropbox have moved from, I think, using AWS to doing everything in-house. But if we don't do that, what are the advantages of using serverless computing versus having to build everything? All right, so there are a lot of advantages to serverless. The first and foremost is, of course, the ease, right? The ease of building applications. So you don't have to worry about your software upgrades or applying security patches or 
any other kind of software administration or server administration. The other thing is because they are built or backed by cloud providers, you get things like high availability, scalability out of the box, right? And the other thing is they're very cost efficient. Now that is because the mode of payment for serverless services is not by uh, the amount of services, services that you're using, but how much you're using them. So for example, let's say you have a serverless database query service. You do not pay for the amount of data or the size of the database. You pay for the amount of data that the query processes only for the amount of time that the query runs. So you see that you never have to pay for idle time. That is a huge, huge cost savings factor. And before that, if we were just building it ourselves, we will have to pay for the servers. Those servers might not be enough if our application becomes extremely popular, right? Exactly, right. So scalability comes into the picture there, right? Especially if you're just starting off a product. Uh, you do not expect the volume to be high at that time, mm -hmm. but you still want to build an architecture that is able to support that planned volume, mm -hmm. right? So with serverless, what happens is behind the scenes, only those amount of resources are allocated as per your needs. So right now, if your volume is, let's say, just a few gigabytes per second or so. The cloud allocates just those resources which are sufficient enough to process that one gigabyte per second. But as your volume increases, automatically behind the scenes, the backend service is able to allocate resources that scale as per your processing needs. Do you know if in addition to how long you use the servers, if the price also matters, if there's an more scale, more number of people hitting your application? Definitely. Concurrency is a factor that determines the, the load of the application or how efficient uh, your application runs, right? And in order to support concurrency at a fast-performing rate, what really matters is, well, one, first of all, the efficiency of your code. You cannot deny that. But of course, second of all, the memory or the computing power that backs up your infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so concurrency, performance, they're all tied together, you know, to scalability, which serverless provides. When should a company choose to use serverless computing? So there are various factors for choosing serverless computing. Now, very many large organizations, their biggest concern is security uh, when they're moving to the cloud. So in order to alleviate that, there are different models of um, cloud. There is something called a hybrid cloud, where there's a mix of a public cloud and a private cloud. And the way you can use this is that for your highly sensitive, confidential data that you do not want to expose out of your infrastructure, you can hold it in your private cloud. Whereas the big data pipelines, which basically consist of unstructured data that is coming in from a variety of different sources, mm -hmm. that kind of data is extremely well suited to do the cloud and the serverless mode. One, because you need scalability, right? You need scalability to be able to support those large amounts of data and also to be able to process them. And that is exactly what serverless gives you. 
So you mentioned here that some companies might opt to try a hybrid approach where they have a private cloud for their sensitive data and they use a public cloud for the big data. And you've also worked on big data pipelines. And this is a term that I hear all the time, but I want to ask you, how do you define big data? Sure. So big data is famously characterized by four Vs. The different Vs are V for velocity, which means fast moving data, such that you're able to extract real-time insights from real-time data. Then the volume. So this is not just gigabytes, but terabytes and petabytes of data. That's the second V. The third will be the variety. By variety, I mean just different formats of data. So it could be unstructured text that is coming in from emails or messages or audio files, video files that are represented on an online platform. And the fourth week can be termed as veracity. So what that means is that all this data that you have, there is a factor of inaccuracy that goes into big data. So you have to be able to evaluate out of all this huge volume of data, what is really useful and what is not. So those are the four Vs that are typical characteristics of big data. And what exactly is a big data pipeline? Very good question. So in order to extract insights out of this data, right? you may have heard about data science, which is a very hot topic these days. A data science basically means analyzing that data using techniques in machine learning, artificial intelligence, or even sometimes simple SQL processing. But before you do data science, the data pipelines is what comes into picture. And that means bringing your data from a variety of different sources, cleansing it. Sometimes you have to put it together. Sometimes you have to clean it out. And once all that transformation or massaging or managing of the data is done, then that data is ready to be processed further by data scientists. Mm -hmm. So everything that brings the data from the data sources to the data scientists and even further, right? It just data science does not end its job once the analysis is uh, computed. What is important is that analysis is further embedded into application logic or it is communicated to relevant stakeholders such that there is meaningful, actionable insight that is derived from that data. So really everything that goes from the source of the data to using that data is a data pipeline. And does this processing happen in real time, for example, when we immediately start getting the data, does this instantly go through the pipeline where it's going to be, like you said, cleaned and things like that? Or is it we process data from an hour ago or a day ago? So again, batch processing and real-time processing, both are supported by data pipelines. Okay. Of course, you know, more more real-time it is, the better for the business because you are able to react to data coming in in a real-time fashion. But at the same time, there are legacy systems that do batch processing, right? So big data pipelines have to be architected in such a way that they're able to process batch data as well as real-time data. We talked about 
some of the sections of the pipeline, like cleaning the data and things like that, what are some of the other components of this pipeline? So with that, I will actually talk a little bit about AWS serverless services and the big data pipeline that you can build using AWS serverless services. Mm -hmm. So typically, you start from the data source, right? Now, the data source can either be a database or it can be a CRM system or it can be a real-time source like social media. And you have to be able to talk to all of these data sources and collect all of data in a data lake as such. So in AWS, you have Kinesis, which Kinesis is a real-time stream processing component. It's able to talk to even IoT connectors, which takes care of your data, real-time data coming in from sensors. It's able to connect to different databases. And Kinesis also allows you to transfer that data, meaning you can perform ETL. ETL stands for Extract, Transform, and Load on the streaming data as it comes in. Also, what Kinesis lets you do is, is grab data from multiple sources and process it and transfer it to multiple destinations. So that's uh, Kinesis in AWS. Some of the other serverless services for big data pipelines is Athena. So what Athena does is, is it allows you to look at your data sitting in data storage, which is S3 in Amazon's case. So S3 can be considered as an excellent option for your data lake, where basically you are combining your data from these different sources and putting them in S3. What Athena does is, is allows you to do quick analysis on that data. So while your data lake can be a schema-less data lake, which means when the data comes into your data lake, you do not necessarily impose a specific structure or format for the data. Athena lets you impose a structure. That makes it easier for your analysts to do ad hoc analysis using complex SQL queries. Mm -hmm. Now, Lambda is another important piece of this data pipeline. What Lambda lets you do is code a computational logic to handle data that is coming in. So when we talked about uh, cleaning out the data, right? So an example could be you are capturing, let's say, um, country names, but you have um, corrupt data that's coming in. A Lambda function can contain some logic to clean out such that it takes in only valid data and sends it further to the pipeline. Mm -hmm. Now, the qualities of Lambda is that it's event-driven. So as soon as you have data coming in from Kinesis that can trigger a Lambda event, that does its processing on the data, which further lets you move that data to another component, which can be a storage or a database. You mentioned that in Lambda, we can make sure the data is in a certain form or with certain valid values. But earlier, you also mentioned the ETL component, which was extract, transform, and load, I think. Is there also some of that transformation or cleaning done in this component? Yes. So Lambda lets you do any type of custom processing. So when you talk about ETL, 
the extract portion of it basically means extracting data from a source. And since Lambda is able to react to different events or triggers, it lets it extract data based on these events, right? The transformation portion in the ETL, that is where we either clean the data or we are able to join the data that's coming in with a standard set of data already existing in different databases or different data sources. Lambda can also do that for you. Mm -hmm. And finally, the load portion is where it is able to persist the data to a third storage, right? So Lambda can talk to Kinesis Firehose, which is another mechanism to directly take your data and move it to a certain destination. So all components of ETL can be efficiently performed via Lambdas. I want to talk about your work building these pipelines at the Linux Academy. But first, I just want to ask you for those listeners that aren't familiar with it, what is Linux Academy? So thanks for actually giving me an opportunity to talk about Linux Academy. Linux Academy is basically an e-learning platform. As the name goes, we are definitely do uh, training courses on Linux. But as the years have moved forward, our focus has moved to the in-demand technologies, which basically includes cloud, big data, DevOps, OpenStack. Now, also I would like to point out is that uh, we do focus on certification training. So as you may have seen that there is a huge skill gap between cloud architectures. So what we want to do is equip students and learners to better their careers, uh, learn new skills, which also in turn fills in the skill gap that employers are seeing. Mm -hmm. Our biggest market is actually around AWS certifications. We are also moving to expand our content on um, Azure and Google Cloud. Of course, we have Big Data, OpenStack, and DevOps. And the other interesting feature about Linux Academy is that, that we provide students and our learners a hands-on lab environment. So what that means is if you are taking a certification training course in AWS, we will allow you to spin up an AWS environment. So you do not have to create your own cloud account or pay for it. Your cloud environment comes with a part of your subscription with the Nuts Academy. What that allows you to do is do your real-time hands-on activities and get more practice in a real-world fashion on AWS. So that is one of the strengths of the Nuts Academy's training model. Are your students mostly people that are already employed, but they want to get new skills? There is a huge portion of people uh, who are employed and who want to better their careers. You'll be very surprised to see there are even people who are in non-technical backgrounds or non-technical employment, and they want to move to you know, more rewarding work, and they start at Linux Academy. There are so many success stories that we have of such people who have found it extremely rewarding to take our courses, to increase their knowledge, and ultimately land jobs which have most definitely improved their quality of life. And just a little bit about the courses, what is the duration of these? So the duration of courses really varies based on the track that you're on. So we do have 
very involved and in-depth courses that are geared towards certification training. At the same time, we also have categories called quick training, which lets you learn something new in a short amount of time. So imagine you have a lunch hour and you want to learn something new in that lunch hour. So quick training is geared for such audience where we have short nuggets of information varying anywhere between 15 minutes to two hours that lets you quickly learn something new. At the same time, you know, if you have a larger goal of um, being certified in a particular technology or, you know, in, in case of big data, if you do not know anything about big data and you want to get started on knowing uh, the big data ecosystem, knowing about Hadoop and Spark, there are more involved courses that lets you do that. So, so to answer your question, yeah, the duration varies from a few hours to um, a few days. So now that we know what Linux Academy is and what it does, since you're working on the big data pipelines of it, what data is part of this big data pipeline? Excellent question again. So what we want to understand in our big data platform is one, mainly how to improve the learning experience for our students, right? How to help them learn in a more efficient way such that they get the most benefit. Also, we want to analyze what our students want. Is Are there some areas that our students are demanding which we lack in? Or even how do we improve the product? How do we make them um, make the experience more engaging such that we do not have people leaving, but they stay engaged? And so for all of this analysis, we look at how our product is being used, which means we have data on which student is performing what kind of activity. How have they taken their courses? How many times have they done their hands-on exercises? What are their scores on their quizzes? And all of this data together, we analyze one to do recommendation engines, which means we recommend what their next activity can be when to help them reach their goal. Another example is to give a direct descriptive analytical view into how our product is being used. So for example, which course is most popular, right? Which course is the most hardest where people are struggling to complete? Things like that help us improve our product at the same time improving experience for our students. And is this data that you gather to build a recommendation system in different formats or what format is it in? So the major source of data is, of course, our application, right? Our application tracks this data. It stores it in the database. That is one big source. We also have different sources, for example, our support system. Right? We have a separate support system that records information from the student tickets. We have that as a source. The other is our community and forums where our students interact with each other, interact with instructors. So that is another source of data. Mm -hmm. And social media, of course, is also an important source which lets us get um, analysis of what our students are saying about our product, uh, whether it's positive, whether it's negative, or how can we improve it. So yes, yeah, so the sources of data are actually innumerable. And you mentioned earlier 
building recommender systems, what is the role of machine learning and artificial intelligence in a big data pipeline? So uh, when we say a big data pipeline, like I explained before, there is the portion where you get the data ready to be analyzed. And then comes machine learning and AI, where, okay, now you have the data, and how do I make use of it? So recommendation engines is a type of machine learning, where what you do is you look at, now there are different approaches to doing a recommendation engine. One of the approaches that we use is to look at past history of students that have taken different courses. So for example, let's say you have three users, A, B, and C, and three courses, one, two, and three. So if user A has taken course one and two, and if user B has taken course two and three, and if user C has taken course three, then we recommend the user to take course number two because we know that user B, who has already taken course three, also took course two. So kind of looking at historical activity of what people have done and recommending based on that activity to others. So that's an example of machine learning. What benefits does a big data pipeline bring to an organization? So when you say uh, benefits for a big data pipeline, one is you have to have a definite use case in mind as to how you're going to use this data, right? Uh, just processing big data, just cleaning it, and then having it sit there without having tangible results come out of it is worthless, right? So always, always start with what is the business solution? What is the business problem that you're trying to solve? Mm -hmm. And how do you get to that solution? All of your data processing should be determined by the business problem that you're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. So like I said in our example, the recommendation engine, right? We, the business problem that we are trying to solve here is to keep the student engaged. We want to recommend future activities to the student so that one, they find it easier to reach their goal. And secondly, it's relevant to them, right? So if you want to build a recommendation engine, we have to map what kind of data is needed to be able to reach this analysis. And that's how you build your big data pipeline. So really, the value that a big data pipeline brings to an organization is one determined by the business problem that you're trying to solve. And also, if you have the data to solve that problem. So you cannot really choose any random problem and say that, okay, let's have big data solve it, right? You have to have the data to be able to solve it. And once an organization has built a big data pipeline, in what ways do we get insights from that pipeline? Does it send us emails? Do we see a UI? How does this work? Great. So again, uh, there are a variety of ways to do that. As you mentioned, the most simplest way of having a dashboard is falls under the category of descriptive analytics. So what that means is you are building a dashboard that gives you a glimpse into your data and your data tells you as things stand. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, there's something called predictive analytics. So uh, an example of predictive analytics is predicting churn. If you want, if you're seeing a certain percentage of your students drop out, in our case, we want to be able to predict 
who is more likely to drop out such that we take corrective action, right? So with that, you will have a machine learning component that is able to predict and that insight is then further fed either to your customer support department or your customer success department who is able to take corrective action. The third example is of using embedded analytics. So we have our application and we want to compute statistics on a student's performance, telling them that you did better than so many other students or this is what you need to do to be able to succeed in your certification goals. So this is, uh, again, a lot of analysis that goes on based on historical data, and the output is embedded into our web application such that the student gets real-time results after completing a certain training activity. So there are a variety of ways that um, big data pipelines and analytics can yield results. Another, another option is for anomaly detection. So you want to make sure that your infrastructure is not being abused, right? Um, in that case, you are monitoring your system, and if you detect any anomalies, there are alerts sent out to your support staff. So that's another way of communicating analysis. Well, Manisha... Thank you for taking the time to come on the show. It was great learning about serverless and big data pipelines with you. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity.